Hi guys and welcome to my podcast, Rose Tinted Glasses. Like many girls, I have been blind to red flags and tend to see situations in a positive and unrealistic light. Every week I'll be speaking to guests about all things love, dating, breakups and of course red flags. In this episode, I'll be talking to my friend Lauren, who is a domestic abuse survivor. We'll be discussing her experience and how she has healed herself since leaving a toxic relationship. This episode contains references of physical, mental and sexual abuse. If you've been affected by any of these issues, then please listen on with caution. Lauren, you were in a year-long domestic abuse relationship that started off really lovely and progressed really quickly into a very toxic, abusive relationship. So can you tell me a little bit about your relationship? How long were you together and what initially attracted you to him? Um, We were together for a year and I think as we go on, it will seem like a lot of madness for one year. Um, it was a very uh, intoxicating relationship at the Mm. start it all happened very quickly um, and it went from being this amazing exciting older man that was the perfect gent to just a disaster like how much older was he than you uh, about 18 years Mm. older right so you're 31 yeah we were 29 I would we (laughs) I was 29 I think he was 47 going on 48 when we met yeah and did, did the older man attract you at the start was that what attracted you do you know what my friends make fun of me now um I'll be honest but yeah it was because I think everyone when you date you meet a lot of immature men Mm. you're on a lot of bad awkward dates and I think like anyone so you're smiling now (laughs) I think like anyone the idea of somebody more mature with a bit more wisdom Mm. and you think they would have grown up at 48 yeah that was genuine and know how to treat a woman genuinely Mm. my thoughts at the time were I have lucked out here this is my dream man I remember thinking one day, I think we were two or three dates in, I thinking, this guy's perfect. Mm. He could never annoy me. He could never do anything wrong. Mm. He would open doors for me. Whenever we would walk anywhere, he would always walk so I was on the inside and he would walk on the outside of the road. They, I feel like with most abusive relationships, they always put their best foot forward and they come filtered completely filtered into the perfect prince charming i think they do that is so that eventually when they start to the red flags flags start to show it's because they feel that you now feel like you can't live without them because they've made you feel like a complete princess and on top of the world exactly that Mm. and i think i had been on so many bad dates and I'm sure everyone has you know we've all watched Sex in the City and seen Carrie rant away (laughs) I felt like that at the time Mm. you know I'd had men tell me when you come on a date make sure you wear a dress like I want someone that's gonna look good it's almost like toxics become normal in dating Mm. now you know everyone's been ghosted everyone's been let down at the last minute so he came along and I honestly felt like this was my Cinderella story Mm. I'd been sweeped off my feet we went to nice restaurants 
we'd been on holiday together staying at this gorgeous hotel in Spain you know he paid for everything he was appeared to be so well mannered mm. all my friends were like I cannot believe you've kind of met this like almost like the Fifty Shades Grey guy yeah just seemed yeah. Perfect. had it all together had his life exactly. yeah. yeah. did you get into a relationship with him very quickly or were you dating for a while or quickly it was mm. so quick we kind of we went on a few dates really fast and then because he lived kind of 45 minutes away it'd be every weekend together for the whole weekend quite quickly mm. he had told me he loved me within I think just over a month of dating Mm. it's everything is perfect like they portray this prince charming they spend money on you they compliment you and then you start to feel like i can't live without them so that's when it gets dangerous because that's when they start the the slight hints of abuse so were there red flags at the start do you know what in hindsight so many Mm. um just i think i said i love you within the month it was almost like they mirror everything you do and say so I always like to know do people like dogs because I have two dogs dogs in my life yeah yeah yeah, love dogs when actually a month later I don't want a dog ever in my life I'm too busy for that he would be very kind of anytime I went to a festival or I went I remember I went on a city break with my best friend to Berlin anytime I was away away from him and he couldn't check up on what I was doing or call me every five minutes or go through my phone when I was asleep or not looking, it would be an argument. He Mm. would get very angry, very aggressive. And almost, he would say that, you know, they were all obsessed. He couldn't, he had to block them because they wouldn't leave him alone. And, you know, if we dated, they'd probably try and contact me, which they did. Mm. So at the time I'm there thinking like, oh, he's telling the truth, these girls Mm. are mental. And actually, they were probably just trying to add me on Instagram and send me messages to warn yeah. me. Yeah. Mm. I was just so oblivious. Mm. I had no idea what gaslighting was, no idea what love bombing was, and just, yeah. yeah. Looking back now, when you look at the, you know, the standard sort of every list, checkpoint, red flag, yep, yep, mm. yeah, tick that box, tick that box. Tell me a little bit about your relationship when it started to get bad. Okay. It started to probably get bad only about three months in and again this is just you overlook and you make excuses for things i think so we had been into london for a comedy show and we're out at a bar in shoreditch and you know when someone's demeanor just changes and they get kind of stroppy they're not speaking and i don't know if you you can just sometimes feel someone's body language get aggressive mm-hmm. so i was like okay let's just finish our drinks and leave and then just really uptight and yeah. you're going to tread on eggshells to yeah but also kind of like staring down other men almost kind of egging on a fight yeah and i started to just get anxious you know we'd only just arrived we'd had one drink and i just said okay let's just leave and then as we were leaving i said okay what has gone on here and he just starts yelling at me in the street whilst we're waiting for this uber in front of just people busy friday saturday i can't remember night people just staring at him back me up against the wall screaming in my face he yelled at me the whole way back that i was looking at other men that i just wanted attention i was just a desperate slag looking for other men right in front of him so he's created this scenario in his head 
yeah out of just thin air yeah. we probably we had been in there long enough to stand at the bar and get a drink each and find somewhere to stand yeah so how you even have time to invent that scenario i don't yeah. know mm. but this was a reoccurring theme so this happened at top golf so it just it became a reoccurring theme to the point where i would start to get anxious of going anywhere mm. with possibly any type of man um, especially younger people. I think the age really played into his insecurities. Mm. Um, probably the big turning point was one night we had been out and we were asleep in bed and about two, three o'clock in the morning, I get violently shaken awake. So I am stone cold, out asleep, and he is shaking me awake, asking me if I am cheating on him because he has a message from a fake Facebook account with no profile. The name is just John John. Basically saying, hi mate, your girlfriend is cheating on you with me from, signed by the name of the guy. Mm. For about three months, he convinced me it was two of my closest friends mm. um, who obviously, when I confronted them about this, uh, we are, you know, no longer in contact yeah. and it made it really uncomfortable. But I actually found out three months later that it was him mm. that made this account. He'd gone through my phone whilst I was sleeping. So he made a, a fake account, which was him, mm -hmm. and he messaged himself yep. saying that you cheated on him with this fake guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so he just completely made up this account, which he lied about, watched me cry about because I thought my best friends had betrayed me. Um, he had convinced me that it was them and I couldn't trust anybody. And I mean, this was probably the first thing in a pattern mm -hmm. of trying to isolate me and distance me from my family and friends. Um, How long was that into the relationship? Only about two, three months. Mm. Yeah, mad when you think mm. about it. Were you really in love with him at that point? Do you know what? First time he told me he loved me, I was actually in London drunk at yeah. a festival with my best friend. And how funny is this? So he tells me he loves me via text. Yeah. And I didn't reply because we were at a festival. How romantic. Well, <laughs> and then he screamed at me because I didn't say it back. Yeah. And accused me, called me a bitch said I was fucking disrespectful because I didn't say it back. Um, and then when I kind of said, we've known each other a month, this, you know, I'm at a festival in London, I'm hanging, like, I'm with my friend, can mm. we not do this? Th this is meant to be a special moment, by the way, telling someone you love them. Yeah. So over text and he's getting fuming and angry because you haven't said it back. Yeah. And it turned out he'd been on a bender with his friends all night and got in at five o'clock in the morning. But yeah, so he made this account and then... Three months later, when we got back off holiday together, I found the account details that he had logged into on his laptop, stalked his other ex-girlfriend, mm. um, looked through about 50 of her photos, mm. and then deactivated the account. So I just opened a laptop to do some work after a week in Madeira, and found this, confronted him about it, and he lied. He said that he was actually just trying to find out who had created the account and sent that message and that he had no idea why his internet browser history 
showed all of those page stalks. <laughs> I know. Why would my internet browser make this stuff about me? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why this internet yeah. browser is out to get him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but, was he ver- was he convincing? Like no, no, because you had the proof, so you knew that. Do you know what? We had been on holiday for a week and I had found messages to his the same ex-girlfriend that he was stalking from yeah. this fake account. One of maybe, I don't even know. I found there was John John, Jack White, you name it. There were fake accounts. Um, <laughs> really original names <laughs> yeah. as well. John and Jack. Yeah, John and Jack. Um, oh and so I had actually found messages to the same ex-girlfriend when we were on holiday with his daughter and his best friends. He actually assaulted me. He threw me into the breakfast bar of this mm-hmm. open pan kitchen and I had fallen back and smashed my head into the wall, essentially. Um, so when we got back, we were barely talking anyway. This was on holiday? Yeah, so my mum, bless her, was... I was in Madeira, locked in a room, crying, because that was... He assaulted me twice on that holiday. So by about three days in, um, he had shot me in the face at like point blank with like a Nerf gun, mm. intentionally. And then I had found these messages. He'd managed to twist it round so that I was being overreacting, dramatic, bipolar. You know, they weren't even a big deal. Like, I love you, I miss you, please take me back. I'll make your life amazing. Mm. Um, and obviously, yeah, the assault happened. So my mum would get me home on a flight out of Madeira. It was all a disaster and we were really on eggshells anyway. You know, this was kind of a long run of women, dating profiles, you know, mm. confusion. And at that time, I didn't know what gaslighting was. Mm. I didn't think I was in a domestic abuse relationship. Process, yeah, I've actually got a quote somewhere about gaslighting but I can't find it, but it's basically where the the abuser makes youth question your thoughts, your feelings. Yep. Can, can you explain it a little bit better, actually? Yeah, so uh, this example, I yeah. sat there with a laptop in black and white, you know, this is technology, this is literal data, mm-hmm. and he's telling me something different. Yeah. So not only is he making me question my thoughts, my feelings, my reactions, because, you know... This it's a perfectly valid thing to be, you know, angry that the person you're supposed to be intimate with and in love with has not only lost, you know, two of your best friends, but shattered your life in the space of three mm. months. This crushed me. Um, and so not only could I not question my feelings as valid, he was trying to tell me that my actual reality reading what was in front of me on a computer was distorted, was, a lie. was not yeah. right. And everything he says goes. You mm. almost... Have you ever seen The Labyrinth, that movie with David yeah. Bowie? It's a bit like that. Yeah. You know when you turn a corner and it's just puppets and madness? Yeah. And then you don't really know how to get out or what's mm. going on. And then there's just a random song playing and people are dancing. Mm. That is how I think back at this yeah. relationship yeah. now. <laughs> like the simplest things you would be accused of being bipolar mm. crazy you're making this up in your head i never said that i never did you ever feel like recording your arguments to then play it back to him to prove that you weren't the crazy one yes and it didn't matter so 
problem towards the end was the drinking and other things. Um, he would claim to not remember or not hear me or I never said that, I never did that. He used to go through my phone whilst I was sleeping and he would delete things or he'd be like, are you recording this? And he would always need to check. Um, I managed to get a couple of videos which I did give to the police last year mm. um everything else he found and deleted mm. or you know kind of threatened me into deleting with threats to my mom or my sister or my clients mm. um but even though sometimes he would say things on whatsapp in writing and i would stand there and show him and he would just point blank deny it yeah and yeah. it's really difficult when people kind of say but how didn't you know or why did you stay you don't understand what is happening to you and mm. you really feel like everything is your fault mm. even now sometimes if it crosses my mind because I don't really think about it anymore like mm. it doesn't really I've kind of grieved healed and dealt with it but mm. sometimes I think about it and I think you know was that me am I bipolar and I'm like that's mm. ridiculous yeah. But it's a really insidious thing that they kind of, they almost just build this labyrinth of confusion. So mm. when you go to kind of check what you think or feel, it's invalidated at mm. every turn and you don't really know where the end is mm -hmm. and you get too far in, you can't backtrack out. Mm. That's the best way I can explain That's it. That's a really, to really good way of explaining it. The whole thing is a massive massive confusion yeah and there is no way of you ever having a decent and honest conversation with that person exactly that and there's no way of you ever saying this is how i feel and this is how you've made me feel exactly because they don't they're in their head they've got a different reality to what is actually reality and that's a scary thing i think because when you're in this situation, you, I don't know about you, but when, when I was in, I wasn't ever in a domestic abuse relationship, but when I was in a relationship where it was mentally abusive, I would try and think of the best way I could deal with it so he would understand. Yeah. And they never understand. They don't get it. No. They don't understand because they are so caught up in their own lies and their own little web of storytelling. They just... They it. always get lost in it themselves. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head there completely. I said to him once, would you like it if your daughter was being treated like this? And he said, no. And I said, why? And he just was like, I don't know. Mm. And I said, because it's not right and you know it's not right. We both know it's not right. Mm. And it would always be, but, but I love you. But I'll change. Mm. But I mm. do better. Like, mm. I promise I can be that man that your granddad wanted me to be for you. Mm. Um... I'm still that same guy that held, holds the door open and crosses the road. It's almost like every time, so I think part of gaslighting is every time you raise an issue, like you just said, and you would sit there and I would do my makeup and I would do my hair and for an hour just to think, right, how can I approach this? How am I gonna be safe? How am I not gonna have a mm. tantrum thrown back in my face? And you almost sort of bend over backwards to try and not get the abuse thrown yes. back. So when you were in the relationship, were there moments and times where you were really scared for your life? Yeah, and this is where there's quite a lot that I haven't said. Mm -hmm. So if anyone is triggered by certain things, I would maybe suggest just kind of skipping forward a little mm -hmm. bit here. Um, as I kind of mentioned, it was almost 
like going down the slide you sort of pick up momentum and I think what I would just be desperate for anyone to do is not let any kind of physical abuse slide so it starts as shaking someone awake when they're sleeping pushing you into walls throwing things at you you know screaming in your face all of those things I see it now as a test that if you leave they're done kind of thing but if you allow it and you stay it only gets worse Mm. um and the night I left was probably I'm skipping forward a little bit Mm -hmm. um but the most scared I've been for my life was the night I left um there was a lot of abuse in between mental physical emotional sexual but this final night um was actually the evening that we went into lockdown last year I had been at his house for about two hours. He basically bullied me into going into lockdown with his... This was, you know, when the UK thought we were going to have the military mm-hmm. rock up in their thousands to barricade Your us. Your uncle's auntie told yeah. you that the military was coming in. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, all the pubs were shutting and it seemed like doomsday was here. So he kind of incessantly bullied me into locking down with his daughter and him at his house about 45 minutes away from where we are here and I kept thinking like oh god please do the military announcement now come on tanks need to roll up to Thatcham keep Mm. me at my mum's house please and it didn't happen so about two hours after getting to his I had probably had a large glass of wine with his daughter and him and picked up my phone and I had a message to say that he had been cheating on me again um I mean, this was after a long line of messages, dating profiles, you know, I don't even know. Um, But this woman had told me that they had been on dates, they had been kissing, that he had stayed at her house and gone down on her the night before I came round. And he denied it, actually. So I pick up this message, and you know what it's like. I felt like somebody had kicked me in the Mm. stomach. It makes me feel sick now, yeah. Yeah. This never happened to me before. Mm. Um, Not arrogantly, just... It felt like I had lost my life. Mm. I didn't understand. You know when everything swims around you and you feel like you're going to pass out? And I just couldn't understand. And then I called her and he starts screaming, you're a fucking lying cunt down the phone. Uh, Oh, excuse me, if we need to edit that. No, cunt's fine on this podcast. I'm not a worker And he was screaming at her, calling her all the names under the sun. And again, it was that, you're obsessed with me, she's lying. And I was very weirdly calm. And I just said, can you prove this? Can you send me screenshots? And she did. Um, And I went back through my WhatsApp. He wasn't with me any of those nights. And you know what it's like, it's the classic, there's no reply for five hours. Mm -hmm. And the night that she said he stayed at his, he didn't reply until eight Mm o'clock the next morning. You know, like... We know, as Mm. girls. And I had actually point-blank asked him, have you been cheating on me? You know when you can just feel it? I could sense it for the last month Mm -hmm. before I finally left. He denied it every time, said I was crazy, that I was insecure, and that's why I was always suspicious, blah, 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 blah. So she messages me, he lies through his teeth, and it gets ugly. Um, I asked him to give me his phone, because she said, you know look at his location services. If anyone out there doesn't know, Apple actually records your location, where you are, what time, when you leave, the transit time to the next location, etc. And we were out in the garden, um, 
and I think I was crying and he gave me his phone and I obviously opened his WhatsApp and funnily enough she was like he'll have deleted my texts he'll have deleted my calls he'll have deleted everything but he won't have known about the location so I was holding his phone and I was like opened it and I said okay you've deleted her messages I get that I knew that and I was like but I'm gonna open your location services now and he's gonna tell me where you were when the times and he gets it and he smashes the phone and he we kind of had like you know what like it's the adrenaline makes it really like foggy in my head Mm. um and I'm like but why did you explain that? Why yeah. didn't you just fucking look? <laughs> yeah. Well, either way, you knew what was happening because he proved it by smashing your phone. Do you know what? And I think that's it. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I knew and I didn't want to know. Mm. I didn't want somebody to invalidate the last year of losing my best friends, of being pushed around. We'll yeah. get to the other stuff in mm. a second, I'm sure. Um, For nothing. Mm. And, you know, the embarrassment of uprooting my life go in the middle of a lockdown just well starting a lockdown um so yeah the phone was smashed mm. and then it just was ridiculous he was adamant that this woman was crazy obsessed with him uh he never even fancied her he never touched her mm. uh we every w- woman is obsessed with him isn't oh, it always yeah what a hard life being obsessed over I mean what was he doing with me if you know he's got like all these women obsessed over him I heard even Beyonce was obsessed with him poor Jay-Z man (laughs) Um, so anyway it went on and on and it didn't matter what I said he wouldn't admit it and then so we kind of separated he went into the living room I went upstairs and I was still speaking to this woman I was like look he's lying are you just I cannot explain to you, I just didn't understand. Mm. I didn't know what to believe. In that moment, a lot of people would say, for someone to call you, surely, Lauren, you know that he's lying and she's telling the truth. Why would she Why would she make this up? But do you feel like in that moment where you still were holding on to hope that she was lying? Were you holding on to that hope? or? Yeah, and this man is in front of his grown daughter. Uh, the neighbours could probably hear you've never seen somebody i mean this is oscar worthy acting yeah like the conviction in your own lies mm. it makes it really hard to believe you to know. question otherwise yeah. yeah and it's kind of like so obviously i have a public page my phone number used to be on my website blah 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 um so he was like she's obviously obsessed i never gave her your phone number she's stalking you and unfortunately her and this other girl had throughout this year consistently stalked me from a fake account so Mm. she actually had this loose instagram that used to actually she was following me for a while and watching all my stories Mm. and trying to send me messages and it will it did get a bit kind of like creepy Mm. netflix docuseries yeah um but at the time you know but the the performance it's like watching how can you question that yeah that poor guy god he's been he's been done over by so many women lying about him how many people want to lie about having sex with him do you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) so also you don't know this but he killed somebody yeah he was responsible for a young boy dying when they were like 19 it was a road traffic accident he drove around a corner too fast and killed a boy so anytime there was anything it was like that was his go-to so in the middle of this it would be 
you know, I would never, my mental health, are you even thinking about me? You know, I'm aware I've killed this boy and I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve a life. That's why she's doing this. You know, it's always the victim. He's such a victim. Oh. And even in this moment where you're like, hang on, two women are the victim here. Mm. I don't blame her at all. Mm. Um, He told her we'd separated, that I was insecure and that, you know, I had been the reason the relationship or me obviously um i had been the reason the relationship broke down so i don't blame her but somehow he was the victim in this Mm. and then it was almost like this shift happened so i went upstairs and i barricaded myself so the biggest thing i had was stuff used to go on whilst i was asleep like i'd be woken up to being like shaken awake thrown out of bed other kind of stuff happened um so I barricaded the door and then I was like, shit, I'm, I have no water in here. <laughs> I went downstairs to get a drink and he was angry, really angry. So I had tried to make a cup of tea, I think, and he had like a tea machine by the door and he came in and whilst the hot water was pouring, he ripped the hot water. So the hot water, boiling water had like flown everywhere, all over me, over the walls. And he just threw the cup and it smashed in the sink. And then this went on, so I was like, right, fine. I just was ignoring him, Mm. and he was screaming in my face, like, getting up in my face. And I started to get a bit like, okay, I know where this is going, just get a drink and leave. So I grabbed, like, a tumbler to get water in, he smashed that, threw that. So you were very calm at this time, because you were petrified, you were thinking, the calmer I am, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think, like you said, if you don't react, if you control your behaviour you're limiting what they can put on you. You're Mm. limiting the reaction. You're not being a catalyst. But unfortunately, he started to push me and push me back into the wall. So there was kind of like a, almost like a farmyardy door, a wooden door. And he, I can't remember what was said. I went to reach for something and he just fucked me back into the door. Mm. And you know when like somebody pushes you so hard, Everything went a bit blurry, and I just remember like a searing pain through my back. Mm. And I put my hands up to my head, like I felt like it was hot, like it was bleeding. And I don't know why I said this. I said, like, I'm not scared of you anymore. And then all I remember, I was like a bit kind of out of it, is this fist comes Mm. up in the air towards my face. And I cannot tell you, it's almost like time just stops. And for the first time, after all the kind of mental, sexual, physical abuse that had gone on, it was almost excusable. But seeing that fist and for that split second thinking, I can't cover this with a hoodie. People are going to see this. This isn't a bruise at the back of my head. Mm. This isn't like a smack mark on my butt, on my body. I'm going to go home with a black eye to my Mm. mum or worse. And you think so fast in that second. And I remember thinking, is this going to be permanent? Because what if my clients find out? So did he hit you? No. So his daughter had obviously heard. I mean, like, I hit this wall. Mm. It must have been so loud. He was screaming. I was crying and hysterical. Like, I'm not scared of you. And then just as his fist came up and I thought, this is it. 
she was like fucking leave her alone like stop this is ridiculous she can't go anywhere like just stop you're so out of order kind of thing and it was almost like he forgot she was there Mm. and it just sort of snapped him back to reality Mm. and he was like just left and went back to the living room and shut himself in Mm. and I just grabbed what I could and barricaded myself Mm. in the bedroom I, I know it sounds stupid with everything else that we've talked about but that was the one moment where I thought there is nothing stopping him. Yeah. Like, he knows what he is capable of. I mm. know what he's capable of. And at best... And if his daughter didn't walk in at that, that moment, that yeah. would have been it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably when it hit you, how yeah. bad it really was. I have obviously been doing a lot of work in, like, therapy and, like, self-help since. And one of the things that has really stuck with me is that abusers know what they're doing they know at the start they can't hit you they can't give you a black eye the first time they meet you they test the waters they test the waters and they it's almost like a brick wall they take one brick out at a time until there's nothing there Mm. and it's when there's nothing there that they've got you and you're like basically an empty shell of a person um and that was that one thought that if she wasn't there that would have been it Mm. and if she's not there next time who knows what could happen Mm. and that's when you that that was the very last time wasn't it so all of there was so much shit that happened between the first time you met him to that moment but that was the last time where you where it clicked in your head and thought this isn't ever gonna get better and i need to leave yeah yeah it was almost like inexcusable at that point like almost like seeing that fist come Mm. towards you and it's like a hot pang through your body. And it was almost like, there's nothing that can justify that. Mm. Everything else, I could find an excuse for. I could blame myself. There was a reason. Mm. You know, he wasn't even drinking that night. Um, Prior to that moment, was, was it physical throughout the relationship? And sexual violence? I think you did mention to yeah. me before there was sexual violence. This is the stuff leading up to the fundraiser that I didn't talk about. I think at the time... I maybe hadn't really processed what had happened to me, but I didn't want to hurt, I didn't want to upset my loved ones, I didn't want my mum and my sister to know, I didn't want it to be all over the internet and people laughing at me, I wanted the focus to be on just raising enough money with as little hassle, with as little retaliation as possible for Dash. Mm. Um, That's the charity that you're working with now? Yeah, so that's the charity we raised five and a half grand for on the day the 12 hour live marathon and then my friend sophie's company uh sort of donation matched a thousand pounds which brought it to yes amazing Mm. over six and a half thousand um which is just yeah hopefully and the charity what do they do they help women children and men so it's not gender biased at all yeah they help get women out of dangerous situations put them in safe houses um they give kids toys rehabilitate women Mm. uh they have legal help for them uh i have a friend who i have been communicating with since november they dealt with the police so she didn't have to so that really minimized her Mm. trauma because that's the one thing is the police are amazing they were so good with me but it's every week updating your case report, you know, going over it again. You made me have a different officer that week because your case officer was on rest days. 
it's almost like the reliving it afterwards mm, yeah. um trying to get a conviction trying to get a restraining order that's almost harder than experiencing it once because mm. you can kind of block out it at the time mm. um but yeah so dash really are an amazing company mm. and they're local as well they're based in windsor and maidenhead mm. yeah okay so i know you did mention that you were sexually abused and physic physically abused would you be okay to talk about a little bit of that yeah obviously i won't go into the nitty-gritty yeah yeah um this was kind of the problem is that you think of physical abuse and when people are like why did you stay you know we had no idea you think of it as black eyes you know split lips yeah. um unfortunately sometimes they're more clever than that um in my case uh it's and again it's this gradual kind of like sliding scale it's like when you dip your toe in before you like fully get in a cold swimming pool or the ocean it's almost like that um and again the coercive stuff so in my case when i found out you know about the fake accounts and the messages to his how many knows ex-girlfriends and random girls would contact me on the internet um the dating profiles i just didn't find him attractive anymore mm. it was almost like a decaying mask started to fall away mm. and i just started trying to avoid being sexual with him i didn't fancy him anymore i really i don't even know if at that point i loved him mm. or it was more that i was trying to get out and i couldn't mm. um so it kind of almost and this was the police that actually explained this to me started to become like a coercive sexual relationship like blackmailed guilt trip bullied into having sex very much became like a guilt trip mm. of well you know how am i not going to make dating profiles and message my exes when you won't have sex with me yeah. And I started to try and like pretend to be asleep or I try and avoid going round. And I think the more you try and pull away from them, the more they get desperate. Of course, yeah. And the more they try and suck you back in. So I used to actively avoid going there. And then when I was there, it started to become a very like manipulative. I would, I'm just going to not sleep all night if you don't have sex with me. I'm too horny to sleep, things like that. Or I'd try and fall asleep and he'd wake me up at two, three o'clock in the morning. Like I'd be unconscious asleep and he'd be touching me mm. or inside me and doing things that at the time I didn't know were wrong because I kind of mm. thought it's almost like an entitlement thing. You're in. I think people think if they're in a relationship, rape doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. But rape still exists if you are in a relationship, you know? Yeah. There was one time we were having an argument and again it was always i was bad mannered and disrespectful because i tried to walk away when he was screaming in my face or had me pinned against the wall mm. and i remember this one argument it was just the two of us in the house um and i i had kind of just said look i'm not having i'm not doing this like i was pinned up against the wall he was screaming at me and i tried to walk away from him and he grabbed my head and flew me into the stairs like face first I think I said to you like I hit the stairs with my hand my own hand like smacked me in the face and it's kind of a blur and then before I know it 
I was obviously being assaulted mm. and I had said no I had I was crying I was like no and it's been explained to me afterwards that this is a typical control thing like a power dynamic in the relationship and he had said that he had never heard me I didn't realize I thought you were into it I thought we were it was sexy because we were fighting it was makeup sex and in his head that's what made him think it was okay yeah whether you believe that or not is obviously mm. open to interpretation. Mm. And he'd obviously then try to do something else. And at that point, I think it became apparent like I was struggling enough, I was screaming enough that he stopped. Yeah. And it was just never really acknowledged. Mm. And then there were a few times like that, to be honest, especially when we had been out for dinner. The drinking got worse and... I remember one night, he I had tried to be asleep and he wasn't having it. Like, he just was on a mission. And this had happened so many times. And I just used to think it was just better to just let it happen and get it over with. Yeah. And just pray to fuck that it was quick. And, mm. you know, go to sleep and don't even think about it the next day. It's done. Mm. Over. Um, but this time, I tried to be asleep because he was just, he used to get so aggressive and so nasty. Mm. He'd be rude to other people, arrogant, and it just was a horrible mm. experience. But he had, again, grabbed my hair and he had a big bed and a headboard. He'd grabbed the back of my head so hard. That, you While know, you were sleeping? I was like, yeah, pretending to be asleep, yeah. but half drowsy, you know, a bit tipsy, which would always be, yeah. you misremembered mm-hmm. because you were pissed. Yeah. A glass doesn't make me misremember yeah. an attack. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but he grabbed the back of my head so hard, I thought he'd ripped my scalp off. I thought I was bleeding. I thought that that was it. Like, my, I've got a bald patch, I've got alopecia, people are going to see that. And he threw my head and I hit the headboard head first. Everything was spinning. And I just remember every other time it had been, no, I didn't hear you say no. I didn't know you didn't want it there. Mm. You know, you you know, you know, lead me on, you go out dressed like that. What do you expect when we get home? Like, I'm a man, we're in a relationship. And like I said to you about this fist, with everything else, you think that would be enough. Mm. So, in hindsight, hearing him say, so I, and, you know, my head was spinning, I'd really felt like, I didn't know if my head was bleeding, my hair had fallen out, he was like, do you want me to fuck you or do you want me to rape you? And I cannot, like, it makes me feel weak now, Mm. I felt like I couldn't, you know, like I was held up by my hair, I don't even know, I can't even remember, and it was almost like... You know when you listen to music too loud and you get that tinnitus kind of yeah. sound? I was like, fucking hell. He's not drunk. He's not high. He knows what he's exactly what he's doing. He knows what mm. he's fucking doing. This is intentional. And I started to cry and cry. And he didn't even notice. He just carried on. And that was the first time I thought that when I went into the bathroom, I didn't want to come out. Mm. And I locked myself in there and I mm. cried. And I remember thinking, I've got a pack of diazepam in my bag downstairs. Yeah. That could be it. I could be done. I could be out of here. Mm. And from that point, it became a really thin tightrope of, Mm. I couldn't sit down some days. I had, like, hand marks 
like scratch marks, bruises on the back of me, the back of my head, everywhere but my so face. So since that moment, it become a, a common thing for him to do. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, I then started to just avoid going around there as much as I could. Mm. And that is when he made a dating profile, started seeing this girl, contacting all his exes, messaging them that we had broken up and blamed me you're the second person to hear this story yeah. so for a lot of people that know me this is the first time yeah. now that do, how do you it. feel about talking about it because it's so brave of you to do thank you i feel a bit emotional <laughs> now yeah. i'm telling you that's why i actually yeah. made all my notes in case this happened yeah um and i don't know if you can hear my breathing's gone mm. a little bit i think when we were at the fundraiser i don't know if you can see i had to retake the videos a couple of times and my eyes are all puffy. You can see I've been crying. Mm -hmm. I didn't really understand. And I think that, you know, through therapy, through just, you know, dealing with it. And don't get me wrong, I'm not an expert. No. In November. You, you, you're not an expert, but all you can do is talk about your experience yeah. and what you've been through. And if someone yeah. can relate, then... Yeah, exactly that. I think if we had met in November, October, November last year... I probably was in a bad place. Uh, my eating was fucked. I was drinking, you know, I wasn't in a mentally happy place. But after doing the fundraiser and seeing, you know, the love, the support, the, like you said in one of your podcasts, people that are healed, healed others, mm. heal others. Um, mm. I just thought, right, okay, I can do this, I've got to get better. So I kind of came off social media, I stopped dating, took all my dating profiles down, and I was like, I want to get better mm. for other people, not just myself. So now I think being able to talk about it, it doesn't affect me because I've kind of built up this, you know, it's part of my You're story. a survivor. Yeah. Mm. When you speak to the police, it's very much, and I think this is the other thing, you feel weak because it's victim mm. this, victim that. Mm. But now it is, I completely agree with you, survivor, warrior, and you feel empowered from it. Mm. You know, it is part of my story, but it's not all that I am. Mm. It's all that he is. Absolutely. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's not me. Seven women per month on average are killed by a current or former partner in England and Wales. And on average, a woman will leave an abusive relationship seven times before she leaves for good. So for people asking you, why did you not leave sooner? You know, it was only a year. Why Why didn't you leave within the first three months? What would you, why, what was your reasons for staying? Such a good question. And I think as well, my mum, and I keep talking about my mum, she always says this, she, you, you are so strong. You know, you have so many friends. You're so, like, probably outspoken, bullshit. She's like, I don't understand how this happened to you. Um, she's like, when I think about my daughter, this is just not the person. That you'd think would put up with this shit. Yeah. You are such a strong, independent woman that's got her own business. You know, you're 31, you're beautiful, you've got plenty of friends. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> when you've got that filler. Yeah. <laughs> when the Botox yeah, is legal. Yeah. <laughs> um... But again, they don't turn up on the first date and dropkick you. It's a slow process. And I think what we do is sometimes forget 
that the people that we deem as domestic abusers are monsters. They're not. They are capable of at least mimicking love and empathy. They pretend, you know, in my case, it was, you know, we'll have three dogs, we'll build a house together, you will have the perfect gen, I will take you on holiday, we'll build a future together. So you're living on hope. It's exactly that. It's always this constant dangling carrot and you think, okay, you know, my friends think he's this gent, you know, that is paying for our brunch and looking after me. This older guy, um, it, it, it's a magical fairy tale that you finally, you know, kiss enough frogs to get, get your prince mm -hmm. and actually you've got a dragon that has anger management problems and blows smoke and burns down your whole life. <laughs> mm, yeah. But it's not a case of you stay for the hope, but it's little things. And I think on average, I think I probably left more than seven times. I think I probably left at least sort of 15 to 20. They show up at your house. You know, my mental health, I'm so sorry you know, blaming it on everything, promising you better. We went to couples therapy, you know, they'll do anything at the time to convince you to stay. And, you know, I think one of the things is that you, it happens to people that are strong. It happens to people that have lots of love and lots of empathy and they play on that. Mm. They know what to do to keep you hooked. They know what to do to get you to think, oh, okay, you know, one more time, you know, what's this? When I've forgiven one thing, it's almost like an avalanche. As soon as you excuse them once, it it starts tumbling mm -hmm. and it gets faster and it picks up momentum. And it's almost, in my case anyway, like things happen so quickly and like your reaction says it all. Some things are so ridiculous that you're almost like, you don't have a chance to process before mm -hmm. the next thing happens. Yeah. Um, and it becomes consuming. You don't trust your own thoughts, your own feelings. And, you know, they threaten you. They threaten your mum. They threaten your business, your clients. You just want to kind of almost fix it. Like, everything, your fairy tale just depends on you behaving yeah. better. Yes. You know, next time they scream at you and pin you against the wall, don't walk away, just take it. Next time they're horny, just give them what they want mm. and it will all be okay. Mm. Approach the situation better. Yeah. Approach it in a different way. And yeah. I mean, mate, I was up to my forehead in self-help books, podcasts. I thought it was me. I was mm. like, I am a brat. I am bad-mannered. I have... Mm you know, mess this up. It is my fault I'm not giving him and his daughter enough attention. How dare I think he is the bad guy? It is almost like somebody just flips the coin and you only see one side. Yeah. You are so, so, so intelligent. The way you were talking about this, it's like you've been healed for 10, 15 <laughs> years. You haven't even been out of this relationship for a year now what was your healing process how did you start that process of healing that's an amazing question you are so good at this that's so nice to hear Thank yeah you. do you know what my healing process was and i'm going to be completely honest because i think it's like anything if you hear these things somebody's struggling and you're like how the fuck do i go from suicidal to this because i was when that caroline flack 
situation happened this time last year, everyone was stunned. And I just remember thinking, how did she do it? Like, mm. what is the quickest way out here? And when I finally left, I think I didn't leave bed. I didn't eat. I was devastated because, and I think the first thing, don't gaslight yourself. Don't minimize, don't deny the fact that you loved this person. It is a grief. Um, what I kind of realized was that it was unfortunately a fake person. I loved and was grieving somebody that didn't exist. It was what I chose to see. It was what I chose to think I could have. They put on an act and that isn't reality. You were hoping for that man that you saw in the first couple of weeks yeah. of the relationship. So I think, you know, you. I kind of went numb and dulled it out and ignored it. Um, unfortunately, I was actually stalked and harassed for eight months. So I had no choice but to confront it. Um, it was daily. It was suffocating. It, the fear and the just the constant checking over your shoulder, you know, worrying daily was almost worse than the abuse itself and being... It was almost like that typical saying that better the devil you know. It kind of just came with the fundraiser, I think, to be honest. I do something for charity every year and one of my friends, Charlotte and Sophie actually, um, were like, well, I think you know what you need to do here and which charity for. And I remember that first video, I was shaking, I was crying, I must have taken it 10 times. My forehead was splitting. By the time we do the video, I look back now and think, how red and bloodshot were your eyes, Lauren? Mm. <laughs> and the support. And it was almost like I tried to go a little bit cold and bitter and shut it out. And then the messages started rolling in from the people I loved, uh, people I didn't even know, strangers in Newcastle, you know, my friends across the other side of the world, people I hadn't spoken to for years really got behind it. And it just snowballed into this amazing thing. And it was almost like somebody just went, look at what you miss by not embracing that kindness, by mm. not using something really soul-destroyingly shit. And I think when you go to rock bottom, you can't go any further. Mm. And all that's left is that you don't want anyone else mm. to hit that rock bottom. Mm. And I remember thinking, just record this fucking 10-minute snap Put it on Instagram. Or just you telling your story. Yeah. Mm. Just say, like, I was like, just breathe and just cry for a minute and say, the next recording, right, this is what we're doing. Because if one person learns what gaslighting is, if one person, you know, doesn't let somebody disrespect their boundaries, that knows it's okay to, you know, look after yourself, that it's okay to be emotional, angry, you know, you're not crazy because you react to disrespect. You're human. Yeah. If you can save one person from standing in that bathroom mirror thinking, I'm not going to come back out of this room, then it's worthwhile. Mm. And I think, honestly, I think in one of your podcasts, I can't remember which one, maybe with Jess, you talk about the support network. And I think she says, don't cut off your support network because those are the people that will pull you out when you're drowning. Mm. And I think when you feel like, when you've been gaslit, you feel like you're worthless. You feel like you are ugly, you're too fat, and then you're skeletal because you lost too much weight. You know, 
just the insults Mm. and the the self-esteem plummets and you think that everybody is out to get you my ex constantly said that I would never find anybody else Mm. I was just a slag that people only liked me because of how I looked Mm. and my personality sucked I wasn't funny I wasn't really that pretty Mm. that he could find anybody else with a bit of Botox and hair dye you know Mm. so you kind of you almost get like catapulted back out into the real world thinking everyone's against you and that all of your and when you start to open up you realize that there's so many lovely wonderful people that actually really do love and care for you for no benefit of theirs they just do it because they love you so do you feel like when you started to open up that is when you truly healed because you realized that you it wasn't just lauren against the world and against your ex i honestly think people like you you know we start talking over instagram people that you know my clients have become the closest people that i trust the most and i say this all the time and i think i feel like i come across really over the top so like my sister for example i remember there's one conversation i said something and she said okay tell me what I can do to make this easier for you. How can I make you feel more comfortable, more kind of validated in how you feel? And I was just like, fuck me. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, I have said how I feel about something or something that's important to me. And somebody went, okay, tell me about it. Yeah. Rather than you're a bipolar bitch. Yes. And I just, and it's stupid because my sister and my mum have been. I've always been there for you. Yeah. But it was almost like somebody just hits you around the face with a wet fish. Yeah. And you're like, people are nice. Yeah. And, you know, that fundraiser, I was shaken. I was terrified. And I cannot stress this enough, changed my life. Mm. And it's nothing to do with me. It's everybody else around me picked me up. And I just think, I sometimes post on Instagram about the importance of being kind. But I really genuinely, truly think that one little instance you know I remember the amount of times that I would just be in my head thinking I don't want to do this anymore Mm. and sometimes you'd go into a shop and it'd be like a little old man would help you find what you were looking for and be really kind and you were like oh okay yeah it's just it's like ripple effect that you never really think of Mm. and I think if anybody ever feels the way I did for that period of time all I would say is it gets better. Mm. Like, And it sounds so cheesy, but it does get yeah. better. You just have to hang in there to mm. see it. What advice would you give to women that are going through a similar, similar situation? Do you know what? This is going to sound really weird to anyone that's not been through it. And I feel like I feel so comfortable with you. And I feel like you'll really understand this. I would never pressure anyone to leave. Mm-hmm. Like we've kind of talked about, there'll be that one moment where it goes past justification and that's so individual. So if you come to me now or in two weeks and say, you know, I'm in this situation, I'm not going to force you to leave. I'm not going to ostracise you because you won't leave. All I would say is get as much evidence as you can. Mm -hmm. Um, I would just tell them that how you feel is valid. Trust your gut instincts. Your thoughts and your feelings are just as valid and real as the next person's. Don't ever let anybody take that away from you. Mm. I would honestly, obviously I want people to be safe, but you just, you can't force somebody to leave. And when they're not ready to, because no no one knows their situation like their own. And I remember saying to my friend, like, 
look, I know you're not going to leave him, but please start saving a bit of money for yourself so you can yes. leave him. Please start saving the text messages. Start taking pictures of your bruises. Yes. Unfortunately, she never done that, but... I would still give that advice to any friend yeah. that is going through that situation because yes, you might not never leave him and you might never use these photos, but one day you may need to and you might have a gut feeling that you might need to. And so now you're out of it, you're you're happy, you've got a really successful business, you're beautiful, nice. you're bubbly. What three positives did you take from your experience? and and? It was a completely negative experience, but did you take three positives from what you went through? Yes. And again, if somebody... If I listened to this podcast in February last year, when I was probably, like, danger zone depressed, I'd be like, what? Mm. <laughs> I'd be like, who the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, they haven't been through what I've been through. It yeah. couldn't have been as bad as what I've been through. Yeah, who is this arrogant, mm. full-of-herself girl? Wait for it. Mm. Um I would not wish this on anybody. I would never, ever, ever want anybody I care about, even a stranger, even someone I don't like, to go through this. Um, but I really genuinely think it makes you a more loving, a more kind, a more compassionate and understanding person. I've recently read a book called The Gift by an Auschwitz survivor, and I'm not trying to compare the two at all. Mm. But she's basically saying that you know, when it seems like all hope is gone and people are as unkind to you as possible, you can't ever take what people put in your head. You choose whether you want to make this better or you want to get bitter. And I think that was kind of what the turning point was just before the fundraiser. I just kind of thought, okay, if I shut off mm. and I avoid love, I avoid getting hurt, what am I sacrificing here? And I think my three positives are that it just makes me so much more appreciative of things like love, of kindness, of people like you, my family, my friends, the support, little things, like somebody sending you a meme when they know you're struggling, mm. or my friend Sophie recently sent me a book, my friend Charlotte sent me a candle, my sister bought me the Charlie McKessie book, you know, little things like that, I just think are so much worth holding on for and taking the risk of being hurt again mm. just for that amazing you know you get this life full of great friendships like you said like you get the success the happiness mm. and I really think it's like a gift of kindness compassion and love mm. and I think you never take people for granted again mm. um I also think this has made me a better person yeah I think I'm not anywhere near as hot-headed and I think you I think we are all guilty of sometimes we can be a bit rude and abrasive like sometimes now when I go to the shop the shop attendant is clearly in a bad mood having a bad day and snaps whereas before I'd be like oh well cheers for the attitude then and my mum yeah. was like you've always been quite a strong you yeah know, yeah right is right wrong is wrong kind mm. of person like I did history and civil rights at school yeah but now I think do you know what just be kind to everybody the more unkind they are to you observe it, says it more about them than yeah. it does you don't absorb it yeah. don't retaliate because mm. you know kindness mm. is the best way to be mm. and have you learned more about boundaries that you'll take for your next relationship 
because yes. I think with boundaries, it's so important to stick to them before yes. you get into yes, a relationship. Yes. Write boundaries on a bit of paper, and if the next person ever crosses any of those boundaries, you cut them off because boundaries should be so important to you. So, what would you say your boundaries are? Do you know what? Again, I keep talking about the same people. My best friend is actually a therapist. But she said, if somebody doesn't respect your boundaries, they don't respect you. Mm. So I think what I actually, I don't know if this is too much information, what I actually really found when I started dating again last year is that people almost use the abuse as like a kind of a scapegoat thing. Like if they do something wrong or they're offensive, oh, well, I'm not like your ex. Well, I've not hit you, so I'm not abusive. Or, you know, like, I am a good guy because, I mean, look at your ex. And actually, I think if you say to somebody, well, no, talking about my weight offends me, or, you know, poking fun at this or the way I dress, I think whatever you kind of, if you tell somebody once and they change their behaviour, then that's respect. I think if you tell somebody, please don't comment on my weight or please don't bring my past relationship, um into sort of our relationship and they do that more than once that's manipulation mm. and I think my boundaries are kind of different between my personal and my work life but I I think it's more kind of the way you communicate with people like if I said to you now Megan please don't say that or like don't bring that up on this podcast and you did it I would take that as a disrespect mm-hmm. and I think for people that have been through any kind of trauma and have PTSD or kind of, you know, anything else, it's almost like boundaries are a way to navigate what's a red flag and what's a green flag, who are, like, dangerous and safe people. So for me, I kind of, if I tell somebody once and they disrespect that, you're written off Mm -hmm. as a red flag, and Mm -hmm. I don't go back there. And maybe that's right, maybe that's wrong, I don't know, but it's the only way I can kind of recover. Like you said, it's not a super long period of time, I kind of need to know that people hear me once and they don't do it again. Mm. Otherwise, all I feel is that it's a repeat of him mm. and that I'm going to be in trouble. Absolutely. And it might not even... They might have just made a little mistake, but mm-hmm. for you, you've been through such a traumatic experience. The, these are your boundaries and you stand by them. And if you have filtered out a few friends along the way... yeah. It's not meant to be. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. and when I done this podcast with you, I actively said to you, "What are your boundaries?" And you you yeah. even said like, "Oh, you're so sweet for saying that." Yeah. But to me, that was normal because if I'm having an intimate conversation with you, I need to know your boundaries. And I think I've only learned that in the past few years because when you have been through a shitty relationship or a traumatic friendship you're so much more aware of what hurt you so you are then aware of how you may hurt someone else if you know what I mean exactly that yeah Mm. you can really tell that with you as well like you don't look old at all I would say you look probably younger than you are but I think that when you (laughs) with my braces I like them. I actually used to fail my eye test at school. So like, you could get glasses. I wanted glasses and braces <laughs> I so did as bad. Well. I was like, is that a C? <laughs> C? No, no, it's an A. But... Yeah, my mum grasped yeah. me up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think sometimes you can almost tell 
you know, like, I think trauma just ages you, like, mm-hmm. internally faster than, like, actual years. Mm-hmm. And I think when you said, you know, what are your boundaries with this? It's just that tiny little thing, mm-hmm. that tiny little consideration that makes you feel respected and validated. Respected, yeah. So I walked in that door and I was like, I'm safe here. Yeah, absolutely. You know I mean? So you've now got through this relationship and you've processed it and you've healed and it's nearly a year later. Would you say you are ready for love again? Yes. I think that, like you just said about the healing, I think if I had met somebody properly six months months ago, it would have been a little unfair. I think now I've just, I've done it so intensely and I actually think lockdown is a bit of a blessing because it gave me that time to really focus on that. All I think now is if you were so able to love and bend over backwards and forgive and tolerate this level of disrespect for love, imagine how amazing love could be without Mm. the shit. I am a bit of a boffin and I love human rights. I love civil rights. And it was what I studied at school actually before going into fitness. And one of the quotes that has always haunted me since I was at school is a Holocaust, kind of study a quote and it's that all that takes for the triumph of evil is for good men I'm going to add in and women to do nothing and I think that when my friends kind of suggested that I do the fundraiser when my friends family were like come on you need to agree to press charges here you know it was almost like that sort of stuck with me and I'm again I'm not comparing the two I'm just using the words to be like you don't have to do much but speak up Mm. and I think that even you know when things seem really dark and that there's no way out when you know right from wrong and you choose to stand with right and I think that's what really kept me going Mm. is that if you're not speaking up what are you contributing to the next person that suffers? Mm. Whereas if you speak up and you get knocked down, you tried. And I am not saying, it's, it's that really difficult, you know, standing up to your abuser, speaking out when you know the system's rigged against victims is really challenging. And I think it's really daunting. So this is not to put down anybody that doesn't have the strength or the support network too, but I did. And like my mum said, I am a bit bullshit. I'm a bit outspoken. And I thought, right, if I do nothing, evil wins. Mm. If I try and I do my best, if I use this and I pick myself up and I just go, right, okay, I've got the people, I've got my sister, I've got my mum, I've got my friends, we can do this, Mm. that might save a life. And Mm. that, I think, that tiny little thing of just recording a video, of, you know, making the police report, I think that is what stuck with me the whole time. Mm. So I would always say that when you hear those voices that have been put in your head from the gaslighting and the abuse, telling you you're wrong or you're silly or you're stupid or you're bipolar, you know in your gut that you're right. Mm. So I would always say, speak up against the bullies and the abusers and the trolls or just general unkind people Mm. and you've already won. Mm. Can you repeat that quote again? Yeah, I'm really scared I've got it wrong now. And I mean, I don't know why, because I've used it a million times. No, It's by Edmund Burke, and it says, all that is required for the triumph of evil is for good men 
and women to do nothing. Yeah. So as in, when you see a guy disrespecting a woman in a restaurant, when you hear that your friend is hitting his wife at home, speak up. Mm. And the women and the kids might not be strong enough. They might not have the support. They might not have the financial, the emotional, the physical strength to do it, so do it for them. Mm. You know, the more we actively challenge these people, the more we go out of our way to protect others and say that it's not okay, Mm. we take a stand against it. You know, we don't have to be in the abusive situation ourselves to know that it's wrong and it's going on. The more we speak up for those who can't, the better the world is. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this because I know it's not easy to speak about it. And I, for someone that's met you once... I know, lockdown. Shit, isn't it? Lockdown brings just people together. I am so proud of you. Thank you so much. I really am. You make me cry. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm so proud of you and thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. I just want to say this podcast is amazing. I think it really, it feels like you're having a girls chat and a cheer on. It's like when you go to Weatherspoons and the drunk girl in the toilet tells you, you look banging in your top and jeans. So and then you talk like. about your ex-boyfriend that's done bad on you. And, and then they yeah. say he's a cunt. Yeah. Bitch.